0: You are listening to the Sun Grove podcast. For more information, please visit our
1: website at sungrove.org.
0: Open in your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, as for you, you were dead. Dead. Let that sink in for a minute. See, sometimes we read our Bibles and we just start zipping into it and we get going so fast, we don't really comprehend what the Bible is actually saying. And Paul is telling us in Ephesians chapter 2 that for us, we were misbehaviors. Nope. We'd done some wrong things. Nope. He's saying, as for you, you were dead. Dead. He goes on and says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler and the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were deserving of wrath. And that, of course, is the condition of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all are deserving of God's wrath. There are none who don't deserve the wrath of God. You say, well, what about that good person I know? Nope. What about this person who seems to do really good things? Nope, all of us are deserving of God's wrath. So he says in verse one, you were dead, but then he says in verse four, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that not by work so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is introducing Ephesians chapter 2 to us. He's introducing the fact that we were dead in our transgressions of sins. We were deserving of wrath. And yet God, in his great love through Jesus Christ, has made us alive. Grab this thought. You were dead. But God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Will you watch this video?
1: Now in chapter two, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter one, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly, God, in his great love and mercy, he saved them, he forgave all of their sins, and he joined their lives to Jesus' resurrection life, and he's brought them back to life too. And so now, having been created as new human beings through Jesus, they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before them. Not only have they been shown God's grace, they've also been invited into a new family, Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham, and for a really practical reason. The commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled, and the barrier is removed The two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace.
0: And in your circle groups, you can look up uh, thebibleproject.com and you can check out Ephesians and understand this book a little bit better. But let's talk a little bit about what Paul is talking about today. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but god made us alive and the gnostic thought at the time kind of that greek thought at the time was that well the flesh is the flesh is corrupt the flesh is evil but on the inside the spirit is good. The, the people are good. People are just naturally good on the inside. So it doesn't really matter what you do on the outside. You say, oh, well, that was just my flesh acting itself out. That was just my flesh doing what it wants. But on the inside, I'm just naturally good as a person. I'm okay as a person. And that's what they thought. They said this, you know, listen, we in our culture think the same thing, right? People in our culture say, well, I've done some things wrong, but who I am on the inside is really good and should be allowed to, you know, into heaven based on my own merit. But scripture teaches us the exact opposite. It says that you were dead, spiritually dead, in your trespasses and sin, deserving of wrath. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we were like the rest. Our flesh was following its desires and its thoughts. And and again, the Gnostics would think that the body is not sin, it's, you know, or the body is sin, but really it's just the parts of our body acting themselves out. The person on the inside is really good, but scripture is very clear with us that all the evil things that come out through the body originate in the mind and in the heart, and they work themselves out through our flesh. So your flesh is really just under compulsion of what's on the inside of the flesh. It's the real you on the inside. And so James tells it to us this way in James 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So again, it's what's on the inside that works its way out. And Paul begins to appeal to us in the book of Romans to use the instruments, the parts of our body as instruments, not to do wrong things. And give ourselves to those wrong desires, but begin to learn how to use self-control, to use the parts of our body as instruments of righteousness. So our hands and our feet and all of our body parts, our mind, our spirit, all these parts work together to begin to not just be under the compulsion to do what we did, being carried away by our flesh, but to begin to walk the path of ongoing self-control as we're led by God's Spirit, So we begin to participate with this spirit. Instead of being led by the flesh, we are led now by the new creation on the inside. And there have been moments that you and I certainly are led by the flesh, right? You know, and sometimes you're worried like, well, maybe that's the real me. Well, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been made a new creation. And our job is now to participate with the new us, the new creation that God has placed on the inside. So what do alive people but who are spiritually dead, what do they do? They offer the parts of their body to wickedness. That's what they do, they're just carried along and you might have some unsafe friends and you're really concerned about how they're living their lives because they're walking into things, they're making bad decisions, they're living just according to the flesh. And as they're living according to the flesh, you're really worried for them and you begin to say things like, hey, you know, you really shouldn't do that and all that. And what you're doing is you're telling a dead person to live like an alive person. But you need to understand that scripture is clear that they're dead. They're spiritually dead. And the only way that we have a transformation to not follow all the time, the desires of our flesh is by the spirit of the living God. And so we, again, our job is to tell people about Jesus, that I was dead and, and you can be made alive. And then God begins to work on how they behave. But first it starts on the inside on the inner person. So we don't sit in judgment on the world because of course, They're going to follow their lusts, their desires, the nature of the flesh. We sit in judgment on ourselves to say, am I participating with God's Holy Spirit? And we tell people that there can be freedom from that in the world, right? So let me ask you. So if people who don't know Jesus, people who are spiritually dead, they just offer the parts of their body to wickedness and they're dead. Well, what does it feel like for people who have been made alive in Christ, When you and I offer the parts of our body to wickedness, it feels kind of dead. It's why when you and I stray from the Lord, we begin to say, God, I I, I can't feel your love like I once did. And sometimes the enemy will come along and whisper to you, well, then God probably doesn't love you as much. See, it's not God's love that strayed, it's us. Because when we offer the parts of our body to wickedness, we feel kind of dead even though we've been made alive. There are two wrong assumptions about salvation that I wanna walk you through today. If you're taking notes, write this down. First wrong assumption is this, I don't need to be saved. And if I do, I can save myself. I can save myself. Like somehow I'm naturally good on the inside and that's not what scripture teaches. In fact, there are three ways that you and I, or people in our world, try to save ourselves. The first is through good works. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 refers to our good works as acts that lead to death. And it was the blood of Christ that overcame our acts that lead to death. In fact, in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And I want you to know that the English translators of the Bible just cleaned up that statement. Because what the Hebrew actually says is that all our righteous acts are like menstrual cloths. You don't keep those. You don't offer those up as something that's good. You get rid of it. He's saying even our righteous acts, our religious works, all those things before, they're like filthy rags. They're soiled. And it's only the blood of Jesus that makes a person alive. I want you to know that God saves us from our bad deeds and he came to save us from our good deeds because for some of you by your good deeds you think that you're right with god you think you're right within yourself so god didn't come just to save us from our bad deeds he came to actually save us from our good deeds too because it's a deception by which we think we're saved so the first one is we think that good works will save us and people in the world think that all the time if I have a participation, if I do the right thing, if I have some sort of faith, if I try to do good to my neighbor, then I'm gonna be okay in the end. And in doing so, we deceive ourselves. Second is religious ritual. Religion is spiritual works made by men. And I want you to know if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want it to be against your relationship with God to have a religion. Most people say it's against my religion to do whatever, whatever. I want you to say it's against my relationship with God to do just religious works that we think are going to save us because we understand that all we're deserving of God's wrath and religious titles, religious standing in some organization, religious practices and habits for these things. People think that these are going to save them and so they practice them religiously and for some it might be some sort of meditation for other it's beads for other it's doing a certain sort of thing that they've modeled or seen in the church of their origin growing up or that they as they scour the internet for spiritual wisdom they grab from all sorts of every person who talks in spirituality and they begin to practice those things and they take everything in and they think if i just get enough of what's out there then I'll be saved. Religious ritual won't save you. It doesn't matter what your membership role says. It doesn't matter how many times you attended someplace. It doesn't matter how many years you've been involved in organized religion. Nothing saves but the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith in what he did for you on the cross. Third is comparison, right? This is that other people are worse. And the problem is that people in our world are comparing themselves to the knuckleheads who are around them. And so you're saying, I'm better, but I want you to grab this thought, listen to me. Better is not the same as being saved. You might be better, but it's not good enough for salvation because all of us are deserving of wrath. You're just maybe less deserving of wrath, but you're gonna be just as deserving of wrath. You're still under wrath. Better isn't saved. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins. So it doesn't matter how you think you get saved. What matters is how God says a person gets saved. That's what matters. Your opinion, honestly, on the matter doesn't matter. It's what? It's how God says a person's saved. That's what matters. Because it's to him that we give an account it's not to the people around us or to some other people who, hey, listen to me, I can appeal to you that I'm better than somebody else and you would agree because you're a human too. No, it's, it's to God. God, what do you say? How do you say a person is saved? So the first wrong assumption is I don't need to be saved and if I do, I can save myself. Well, that's incorrect. The second wrong assumption is this. You say, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've been a Christian my whole life. I want to tell you, if you've said that, if you've heard somebody else say that, or you've got a friend who says that, that is absolutely ridiculous. It is so non-biblical, you don't even know. If you have a friend who says that, I want you to light them up. Here's why. You can be American your whole life. You can be a male your whole life or a female your whole life. You can be blue-eyed your whole life. You can be brown-eyed your whole life. But you cannot be a Christian your whole life. You simply cannot say it. Why? Because you were dead in your trespasses, and your sins. But at some point on hearing and believing, God made you alive in Christ Jesus. You cannot say that you've been a Christian your entire life. You haven't. We were all born dead spiritually. All of us, the scripture said here in verse 3, lived among them at one time. So you're not exempt. You have not been a Christian your whole life. It was only at the moment that you put your faith in Jesus that you became alive in Christ. So if you have a friend who says, well, I've just been a Christian my whole life, I want you to stop them every time they say that. Why? Because Ephesians 2.1 says you were dead. But God made you alive. And let me just ask, what does a non-Christian person hear when you go, well, I think I've just kind of been a Christian my whole life? You know what they hear? Oh, well, you've just been a part of that religious background, and so you think you're good. Well, I don't agree with that. I'm a part of something else, which I agree with. It's very different if you say, I was dead, but God made me alive. Do you see the difference? And I think so often when people try to tell a testimony, they're like, well, I've kind of been a Christian my whole life. No, you have not. You have not been a Christian your entire life, Jesus came not to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And you need to make sure that you know you're not just going from bad to good, you're going from dead to alive. Louis Giglia will often say that. And I want you to understand that that's what Jesus came to do. Well, let's understand what salvation is now that we looked at some wrong assumptions. Number one, salvation is by God's grace. It's a gift. Everybody loves gifts, right? But everybody's suspicious of free gifts. When you go, I mean, unless you're at Costco and you get a handout and you know that you can actually eat it there. You're suspicious of free gifts. It was Virgil who said, I fear the Greeks, even when they bear gifts. Why? Because we've all had the offer of a free gift that wasn't really free, right? But salvation through faith in Christ is a free gift. God could never be indebted to a human. God doesn't owe us anything. He could never be indebted to a human. So anything from God has to be his initiation, his decision, his grace. We're talking about God, not a person, not a church, but God's gift offered to you. Well, how do you receive that gift? How do you receive this gift? This gift's being offered to you. How do you receive it? Salvation, write this down, is received by faith. In Acts 16 Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi, and God comes along and opens, drops their chains off, opens the door of the jail. All the prisoners have opportunity to escape, and the jailer thinks to himself, I'm a dead man, because these people have been put in my charge, and the doors of the jail went wide open, and they're all have the opportunity to leave, and it's night, and the lights have all gone out, and I'm pretty sure they're all gone, and then they find out that everybody stayed. And Paul and Silas begin to share the good news of Jesus with this jailer who thinks I'm dead. And you know what they begin to share with them? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God can make you alive. Here's what he asked. He said this. Then he came and brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe In the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And that night, he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He and his household were baptized. And I want to ask you, have you believed, and have you been baptized? Baptized is a public profession that you're simply saying, I believed, I was dead, but I believe in Jesus Christ, and by that, by faith, God has made me alive. And my first act should be baptism as a public profession. If you've not been baptized... Talk to us. Talk to us at the tables in the back. We will set up the earliest opportunity for you to be baptized, that we absolutely can. But you believe. We can do nothing to earn salvation. All we can do is receive this gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Listen to me. It is whom we believe that saves us. It's not the act of believing it. It's whom. Who am I believing? It's not like, I believe God can save. Well, that's great. That doesn't save you. What saves you is I believe that Jesus' death on the cross was a substitute for my own. And all my sin was put on him on the cross. And he conquered death. And when he conquered death because he was God become flesh, he offers now to us, I've canceled out your sin. Will you receive the gift of eternal life through believing that that's what I was doing all along on the cross, centuries before you were born for you? Do you believe? The object of our faith is Jesus, not the merely the ability to believe in something. Some people say, well, you just got to have faith. No, no, no. No, you got to give faith. You've got to give faith to what Jesus did on the cross. And if you haven't done that, you're not saved. So there's three parts to saving faith. Write these down quickly. I must hear it. I must accept it. And I must commit to it. So we hear it first. And then we accept it. We say, you know what? I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to believe that. I believe that I need salvation for my sin. I believe I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. Do you realize that that's what God does with you? God shows you you first so that you understand your need for him. God doesn't just show up in your bedroom and say, I'm God. Follow me. He shows up and says, you're a mess. You're jacked up. You are so messed up, and you are in need of salvation by faith through Jesus. And I love you so much that I died in your place. But he shows us us first. Then he says, now I offer you the solution. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Here's why the story of you fits within the big story of God, because the story of you means nothing. It's a dead story, a dead end story, unless you understand the big story of God. And he's saying, let me help you understand what that is. So, number three, salvation is not earned by works. Why do you think that God would not require that we earn our salvation? I think God knows humans pretty well. If we were earning our own salvation, we would brag, we would boast. I'm better than you. Look at me, look what I've done. I'm clearly saved as compared to you because look how much more I've done. We would boast and brag and he didn't want that to be the case. And that's what Paul describes to us. Second, if we earned our salvation, it wouldn't be a gift. Let me ask you this. Do you view your paycheck as a gift? Your business just comes and says, hey, we we just think you're great. Here you go. And you say, wow, I thought I was doing this for free. Thank you so much. No, of course not. Why? Because you earned it. And let me tell you, when you earn it, it's not a gift. But God said, I want you to understand how big my love is. I'm not asking you to earn it, I'm asking you to receive it, to receive this free gift so that you will know it was all me, all along, the entire time, God's work, God's gift to you and to me. And that's why you and I don't view it as a gift. Let me give you an example i find how to open this thing here. All right. All right, okay, so I got two balloons here, right? They're both filled. They both have breath in them. One of them has been filled by human effort because I had to blow it up. The other one you're looking at it going has a string. That's probably it, right? Maybe I'm fooling you. Maybe you don't know which one has helium in it, right? But here's the difference. We both look like we're the same, but only the person who has the spirit of God inside them makes the difference. And this is what happens when you die. How many of you, that's gonna drive you nuts that it's on the ceiling the entire (laughs) rest of the service? Thank you, thank you very much. That's right, yeah, yeah, the reformers, the ones are like, he should have had like a little weight on that thing. I don't know how they're gonna get that down. Somebody needs a BB gun, right? That's what you think, but. But that's what happens. The question is, we bo- everybody looks like they have the spirit of life in them, but only those who've received Jesus have the Holy Spirit in them as a deposit, chapter one told us, guaranteeing what's gonna come on the day that we die. It's not earned, it's not by works, it's a gift. Number four, salvation is demonstrated by godliness. So once saved, once you've received the spirit of God, then God has prepared good works for us to do in advance. And that's part of our purpose, that God is, shows us how works fit into the life of a believer. See, the, the works that we do, the good things we do, they're not the means of salvation. They're the result of salvation. Once saved... Then we do good things. Why? Because now we're offering the parts of our body to righteousness, to do good things and to do good works because of the great love of God, not to earn the great love of God. You can't create your own new nature. And the Bible's clear that when we come to Christ, we are a new creation, that the old is gone, the new has come. And you can't create your own new nature. You can't. Jesus said it this way in John 15:5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from God, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. You can do nothing. But with Christ and with salvation... It's a beautiful thing because now we participate with the work of God. We are empowered and infilled, and out of the overflow of God's goodness to us, we do what is right. We begin to participate with God's Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, have you been brought back from the dead, or are you still among the living dead? Let me tell you, some of you are like, I made that decision. I made that decision once. But honestly, if you look at your own life, you're saying since the moment you said you made that decision, there has not been any results there's not been any growth there's not been any fruit and the older i get i'm just realizing more and more no fruit means no salvation And i think there'll be a lot of people who deceive themselves on the day that they stand in judgment before the lord saying but lord lord i did religious works lord lord i had a good standing i was on the membership rolls God, I did this, I did that. And they'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because salvation by its nature, because of the great love from God, the natural response is because of his great love, I'm gonna serve him and my life now has purpose that it didn't before and I wanna live my calling. I wanna encounter God. I want to grow through community, through other people, in circles, and in relationship, and now I want to live my calling and serve God with the calling he's given me with my remaining years on this earth, and that's how the story of me now fits into God's big story, and I lived out my purpose, so let me ask you, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? Paul states in that previous section of chapter two that salvation is gracious, it's free, it's a gift from God through Jesus Christ to those who will receive it. And we're going to unpack why. Why does that change everything? Why does that change everything? And again, in Ephesians two eleven, he described what we saw on video, but it says this, therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done to the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now... I love his transition here. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands, its regulations... His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. Just remember that as we head into an election year. You're no longer foreigners and aliens. You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So you say, well, what is God's big plan? What's God's big plan throughout all of humanity? I think you're getting a glimpse of what God's big plan was. Part of it was hidden for centuries, revealed only to Jewish people, but his big plan included all of us, and his big plan is to bring those who are spiritually dead and make them alive in Jesus Christ. You might want to write that down. We were separate from Christ. You might have been a non-Jewish person, which means you were unable to be under the protection of the covenant or receive the gifts of the covenant. You didn't have the blessing of the covenant. You were without hope, the scripture said, and with it we were without hope, we were without God. And by the way, that is a similar picture to describe what it is to be in hell in the future. Without hope, And without God is a very similar picture to the separation and the lack of hope for those who've been condemned to hell. And there were two sides. There was Jew and there was Gentile. The Jew was near God in the Old Testament. But the Gentile, like me, many of you in this room were distant from God. God was unapproachable in many ways for us. But now in Christ Jesus, the mystery and the beauty of God that is in one body, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Why? We were rescued. God's big picture plan was that we were rescued. An ally came along when there was no hope that he destroyed the barrier. He sacrificed himself to destroy it. Whose law is sin against? God's. When you and I sin, it's not against human law, sometimes it is, but where do we get that? When we sin, it's against God's law, whose death canceled out the conviction and the punishment and the wrath of our sin, it was God. His law, his subsequent punishment received upon himself to cancel out the wrath of God, his life was given. It's his law, and it's his life out of his love for you. What happens then when a person or an organization or a church or a religion is built on anything other than Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone? Maybe you've played the game Jenga where you stack, the, you know, you stack up a bunch of little wooden blocks and you get to pull one out and then you put it on the top and and you're hoping that the whole thing won't tip over. Well, anything built except on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ is like playing Jenga, but the bottom of the layer is little marshmallows. It's destined to collapse. It might look like it's a building. It might look like it's okay for a while, But as soon as the pieces get rearranged, it collapses because there is no chief cornerstone. And salvation is the same thing. There is one way by which people are saved, and that's through faith in Christ. And he has made us now one body with him. Let me ask you, how secure is your life when you start to relegate Christ to some lower position in your life? Sometimes you're building your life and you're like, I got God in there. But the reality is you've moved the marshmallows down to the bottom. And your life's getting shaky and tippy, and sometimes God loves you enough to let your life get ruined by Jesus. Everything you and I have built to find out it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't save, it's not real living. And God allows that to collapse so that you and I come to relationship with Him. My question is, has your life been ruined by Jesus in a good way? a healthy way. See, God didn't want a tourist attraction where people go and they go to the pyramids or they go to like some sort of pilgrimage like Mecca. What he wanted was to build an alive building, not a building, but an alive building where his Holy Spirit now indwells our bodies as his Holy Spirit, we become the temple. We become the temple of God. And it's God's spirit living, working in and through us and all of us together and all around the world for those who put their faith and trust to Christ. That is the church. We are an alive building. So what does it mean then for my body, for me to be a temple of the Holy Spirit? And let me tell you, when you begin to understand that, that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, it will make a profound difference on your life purpose. See, I don't add God to my life. God gives me the meaning and the purpose of my life. I'm his temple. His Holy Spirit is inside of me. So God intends that this multi-ethnic forever family be built together. You are not an island. Be built together. People are like, I just believe in Jesus, but I don't go to church. I go out and do whatever. You know, I, I go around. I go worship God in the wilderness. I just worship God on my own. I've been burned by the church. I do this and I do that. And I want you to know that isolated stones are not called mountains. They're called rocks. And God is building stones into an alive building of his church, and that's us. And he calls us to gather together regularly, just like you're doing today. So how does the story of you fit within the big story of God? Well, what are we supposed to do? Verse, or Hebrews 10, verse 24, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Those, how do those fit in? Because we've been saved, Right. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day, that's the day of the Lord's return, approaching. My question is, have you believed the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Do you have the Holy Spirit of God in you? If you were to die today, would your balloon go up or down? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, thinking only about your own life, I want you just to consider for a moment and just ask Jesus If today you're realizing that you need to be saved, and he's offering you a free gift, the way you respond to it is by receiving it, just asking, saying, God, I believe, I I need you to make me a new creation. And so today, this is your opportunity to do that. If that's you today, you pray a prayer like this, right where you're seated, on the inside, God hears you. Just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried And you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside. Forgive me of my sin. And wash me as white as snow. Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now where you're seated, if you just prayed that, will you raise your hand? anywhere around the room, that today was that day. You two right over there. Greatest decision you could ever make. Over here on the side, greatest decision you could ever make. That's good news. All the way over here on the end, greatest decision you could ever make. That's phenomenal. You might be in the loft. One of my friends will see you up there. Just you slip up your hand as well. And God, today, would you forgive us for the times that we kind of think that we're doing pretty good because of our good works. And today, God, we just want to praise you and lift you up and give you glory because we were dead. And you made us alive through Jesus Christ. And that is why we gather. It's why we praise. It's why we meet. We love you in Jesus' name. And together, God's people said, amen. Will you give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us? Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.